0: joining me on the Football CFP podcast, Richard.
1: Not at all, delighted to, to be with you and um, looking forward to lots of football chat.
0: I'd like to start just with what you're up to now. Obviously, you're known to, to many fans across the country as one of the main voices of BBC Sports Sound, especially Open All Mics. What's it What's it like leading such an iconic, but frantic football show?
1: It's certainly frantic, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, the, the thing I love about it and about my job generally is um, everything's live. Uh, you have no idea what is going on. So if I'm in the studio or if I'm going to the ground, um, we'll have sat down, with the producer, or the editor, we'll have worked out stories, we'll have worked out themes that we're going to look at, discussion points, um, the whole thing, not that it's written down, but the whole thing can metaphorically be ripped up in two minutes because there's a big story emerges, there's some interesting team news, um, and it just it just throws everything up in the air. And, and the joy, is reacting to that Um, it helps that we all love scottish football we all love football generally we're football fans Um, and it's it's just it's well i'm thrilled that i'm still doing it after all these years i still get the same buzz before every program every game doesn't matter to me whether it's a champions league tie or a challenge cup tie i just love football i love being at games i love everything that surrounds the matches and the people that you meet and um, you know, the great friends and contacts that you, you make over the years. Um, to, I mean, the whole thing is, is fantastic. It's, um, it can be hard going at times trying to keep in check certain individuals on, <laughs> on the programme, um, but that's part of the joy of it, I suppose.
0: You mentioned there, you love the fact it's live. What challenges come with the fact it's live with so many games on at the same time?
1: Yeah, I suppose after a period of years, I mean, I've been doing it a long, long time now, um, that, look, Scottish football still has the ability to shock and amaze you um, but there's generally speaking there won't be anything that comes up during the course of the afternoon or the evening that I've not had to deal with before and the main part of my job I've all, I always feel is that if nobody else is speaking then I need to speak So, um, and there's many a time where I will open my mouth and I'll start to speak and I've got no idea what I'm going to say but I, 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 there's a kind of defence mechanism kicks in I quite like that as well you know that that's part of the buzz as well um but yeah I mean lots of times where um I'm way down a verbal cul-de-sac with no hope of retrieval and then somehow eventually (laughs) I pull myself back out of it so I it's just that it's it's the fact that you're an edge um for potentially three and a half anything from three and a half to eight or nine hours depending on on what kind of program we're doing.
0: You mentioned there that when there's a heated debate. It's your job really to keep certain individuals, uh, in check. And obviously, in light of recent events, if if there is a heated debate, are you the one who manages that, or is it the producer?
1: Producer. Um, well, we're both very experienced. Um, I will probably preempt the producer at times. Other times, the producer, whoever it is, will be in my ear saying, Phew, "You're going to need to you know, either balance that out, or you're going to apologise for that." Which you know, occasionally things get said in the heat of the moment or microphones pick up someone's sweating in the background um I don't mean one of our contributors <laughs> I mean, I, um so no there are moments like I've um I've built up a, a fairly sharp I think editorial um approach to things over the years so I know what can be said I know what can't be said um generally speaking you know, I know when something's fair or unfair and if there is a very one-sided discussion or debate, you do. It's my job at times to try to play devil's advocate and, and balance that off. And that's irrespective of my personal feelings. It's just that way. It has to be done that way. Um, we have to be careful. Um, you know, there are clear editorial guidelines that that we have to meet that others perhaps don't have to adhere to. Um, in the main, I think we get it right. And if we don't get it right, then you have to simply put your hands up.
0: Over the years, obviously, we talked about the fact that there's been so many heated debates. What's one of the most heated debates you can remember having broadcast live?
1: Wow. Um, back in the day, I mean, when, when Jim Trina was a regular in the programme, um, Jim could certainly get a bit heated <laughs> at times. Um, I know, you know, with Jim, it was never anything personal. It was just that he felt very strongly about certain things. Um, so there were, there were many, there were many over the years. Um, I think, in the main, the guys got on very well and know each other, and have worked with each other for many years. And you know, we there was one time when the one period where we had a, I think it was a Sunday evening when it was a I think called head to head, or it might have been the end of sports, and um, but it says it was Jim and Chick, and they would go head to head on the big talking points of the day of the week, um, and quite often we'd sit down beforehand, and um, Jim would say, oh, he would take a particular viewpoint. And she would say, "Well, that's fine. I'll just take the opposite viewpoint." No, he, he didn't actually think that, but he was—he was quite prepared to to put up the argument and just to stimulate the debate. And it got calls and texts coming in, so um, there's a wee bit of showbiz involved <laughs> at times as well. So I, I don't think you know, for for the listener at times, they'll think, "Wow!" But actually, you know, the guys probably went at a
0: beer afterwards. One thing I'm interested to ask you about is on a Saturday afternoon. Listeners, like got myself to off the ball We're used to hearing you at one o'clock Come on and preview the programme Do you look forward to the banter with Stuart and Tam? Because I'm sure They keep everyone other their in guessing their toes I'm sure they keep mm. you in your toes as well
1: I never know quite What they're going to throw at me <laughs> I mean Tam has um, Tam has got One of the sharpest Comedic brains I've ever come across I mean he is so So quick To pick up on anything Um yeah I mean there are times where you, you just know, and the the guests are exactly the same, but even me in for my five or ten or sometimes fifteen minutes um <laughs> to do a sixty second trail usually um yeah, you never know quite what's coming, but you have to you just you have to be prepared you have to be prepared to be able to to bounce back. No, I do enjoy that actually because it's i mean it's a chance just to flag up what's coming up in sports end, um but I always kind of feel that I can probably say things. In that little part of the programme that I couldn't see on Sports Sound um, <laughs> I'm never going to say it's going to take us off here, but no it's fine it, you can, it feels almost like there's a, a bit of freedom um, I think the guys have they've been brilliant over the years when they first started um, they did cause problems for us in Sports Sound because people just didn't appreciate what kind of and the, the show their show has um, it's kind of morphed over the years it's a very different animal now to what it was back at the start um, but yeah, we'd, we'd have problems with managers and players saying, oh, they said this, they said that. Jim Jeffries, I remember in particular one time, was furious <laughs> over something that was said off the ball. I said, Jim, it's it's humour, it's comedy. Um, yes, it's football orientated, but they're a completely different beast to sports sounds. Um, and things were always smoothed over, but I do remember pointing out to someone, look, if, if Johnny Watson had said that and only an excuse, you'd have laughed. Well, this is. It's the same type of programme. They're going for the same type of audience, trying to get laughs. Um, they've been they've been fantastic over
0: the years. We know Stuart obviously is a big Saint Johnston fan, Tam's a big Mullerwell fan, yourself, you're a big Aberdeen fan. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Does when, when you go into the studio after an Aberdeen defeat, do you, do you are you just ready for both of them to come at you? Or are you prepared uh, to give them it back?
1: Yeah, well, you have to be. Um yeah. Look, it's it's the same um as you are, you know. Some of your pals will support different teams to you um you wind each other up um yeah i mean I went through a long period obviously having having followed the team and been a fan when they were hugely successful um i mean i started i did my first sports round in october nineteen ninety one um and right the way through until the league Cup final win in 2014 we'd won one trophy so there was plenty <laughs> ammunition for everywhere, and we were terrible for a large part of that. we were absolutely awful. so I kind of became a figure of fun as, as much as anything else and um, But for me that that's the kind of central tenet to, to everything that we do We are football fans, and i 'm very suspicious of anyone who's involved in football broadcasting or journalism who says, "Oh no, i don 't support any team." For me, you love football um, and it's either your father or your uncle or your granddad or your granny or whoever. But somebody has introduced you to the game and they've introduced you to a team. And that's where the love of the game starts. And for me, it was my old dad and it was Aberdeen. Um, and you know, everybody else will have their, their same story. So it's, um, I think there's nothing wrong um, with rivalry um, and with banter and with winding each other up. It's just obviously at times beyond that, um, things get out of hand.
0: Before we move on to your love of Aberdeen, I'm interested to to know your route into football in terms of growing up. When did you get into football? When did you start playing? And who were your heroes growing up as well?
1: Um, I, I mean, I played not very well for the primary school team and then occasionally for the, the secondary school team in Aberdeen. I played a lot of, um, beyond that, um, I was a goalie and I played, it was Sunday league. I played um, I was kind of works leagues as well. And I worked in the bank for a period of years after leaving school. Um, and I never wanted to play juniors or um, juveniles, whatever the, the various standards were, um, on a Saturday. Because for me, Saturdays were for going to watch Aberdeen and then I played football on a Sunday or I played football in midweek. So, um, yeah, I was never, I would, I would never, I mean it didn't stop me becoming a professional goalkeeper, that's for sure, <laughs> <laughs> that was never going to happen. Um, and in terms of the, the love of the game itself, um, my dad, I me mean, my dad took me along a few times. Um, but it wasn't until it was the Scottish Cup semi-final in nineteen seventy. Aberdeen were playing Kilmarnock. It was at the old Newton Park in Perth, and that's um, all right. I'm taking you, down to the game, and still remember it right now. Um, getting the train down, the queueing up, the they kind of joining the, the mass ranks of the fans walking along to the stadium, going through the turnstile and then, up and then there was a slight banking up into the area where the Aberdeen fans were and just being blown away. It was a sunny afternoon in Perth, right I think the start of April or towards the end of March. And um, it was just, I remember just the the colour, just just everything just pulled me in. And I went right down to the front, that had um, like fencing, sat down yep. in behind the fencing, um, with my Aberdeen rosette on, <laughs> not far away from the, the goal, which Derek guy scored the only goal. So. We won 1 0 that day through to play Celtic um, in the final. Um, and I just remember coming away from that, being absolutely spellbound by it. Uh, my dad went down to the final. My mother wouldn't let him take me because the final obviously was being played in Glasgow, and Glasgow was a dangerous place for a <laughs> small child to go, apparently, according to my mother. So I was sitting on the top deck of a number 24 bus in Union Street with my mum, having been shopping, when the conductor shouted up, Aberdeen have won a cup. <laughs> so that was that was how I found out but no that was the afternoon then that following season seventy seventy one, I was there every Saturday because the reserves played at home if if the first team weren't so I went to the the all the first team and reserve games right the way through then and then I mean, we were very we nearly won the league that year seventy seventy one and lost out to Celtic having drawn with them um, in the second last game of the season at Potodri so it was yeah I've, I then had a period where, where we were rubbish again um, until Ali McLeod came in, won the League Cup in 76. Um, He disappeared, Billy McNeil had a season, came so close to success and then Alex Ferguson of course took over and the rest is history.
0: You mentioned there the the various managerial leaders you witnessed growing up, who was your standout players from from the time when you just got into Aberdeen? Oh as
1: a kid it was Bobby Clark who was my hero um, because I was a goalie. and my late uncle Stan, he was a, a friend of Bobby, so he arranged for me to meet Bobby Clark, and that was so that was the very first football player I'd ever met, and he could not have been nicer. And I've met Bobby a few times over the years, and in fact, um, last year I did the the opening of Cormac Park, and um, the youth academy there's named after Bobby, and Bobby was there, um, and he was just I mean he was a, he was so kind uh, and welcoming to me back when I was a wee boy, and. He hasn't changed. So, I mean, it's lovely when you meet your heroes and actually, you know, quite apart from being superb football players, they're really nice guys. And and also in that team, um, Arthur Graham, because he, he had just turned 17, he'd um, joined up. Bobby Calder was the great Aberdeen sked. He'd, he'd signed Arthur Graham and he'd only had a few handful of games and he, he was playing in the cup final against Celtic. And Joe Harper, who, of course, is... Because anyone of my era, um, <laughs> Joe has to be the hero, and the record goal scorer. And again, somebody I've, you know, I've got to know over the years and worked with many times. And uh, another, um, just a gentleman. You know? So it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I mean, throughout the years beyond that, the, the Gothenburg team clearly dominates uh, because of everything they did as a team. But individually, you know, you look at those guys. They were absolutely
0: magnificent players. If we come on now, as you said there, to the the glorious era, the Sir Alex Ferguson era. What are your memories of that era? The league wins, MacLeish and Miller winning the cup, as he famously said, right. in that cup final, and obviously Gothenburg itself.
1: Yeah, I remember when uh, my first kind of experience any of us had was uh, of Alex Ferguson. It was, Aberdeen were celebrating the 75th anniversary of 1978, and they had a big night at the Capitol Theatre in Aberdeen. Um... And Alec Ferguson had not long been appointed And he stepped out onto that stage And he was introduced to those of us Those fans who were there um, And I, I, I mean I can't remember exactly what he said But it, he spoke with such passion And clear determination And you know, we were hearing Phew, you know, he's, he's talking about He's going to challenge Celtic He's going to challenge Rangers He's going to win things That was the, the stated intention at that point point. Um, and he, you know, he had his moments Lost a couple of cup finals um, There were a few disappointments But then it it came, you know, he he began to piece, some of the players were already there. He began to piece the team together. He brought in Mark McGee. He brought in Peter Weir. Um, And he got more out of a lot of the individuals. You know, Gordon Strachan was there. I never really, Billy McNeil signed him, but he'd never really showed what he was capable of. And then bit by bit, um, Sir Alex got this team together. And honestly, for the next six years it was I, I never took it for granted um, I mean I suppose you do to an extent because if, I mean Eric Black talks about Eric um, averaged a major trophy win for every 19 games that you played for Aberdeen now wow. think about I mean that is just incredible but that's it Eric said you yeah, you turn up for preseason training you get shouted at you win a couple of trophies and then you go off on your holidays and, and that was the season, as far as he was concerned. So, um, you yeah, know, I, th- I think the more realistic among us probably realised that it couldn't go on forever. And we were lucky. I mean, we were lucky to have him for as long as we did. Um, you know, if, if a manager in charge of um, one of the Scottish clubs these days had enjoyed that kind of success, he would be away the minute after I mean you know if I'm, as a manager of a Scottish team wins a European trophy now he will not be at that club next season will he <laughs> I mean he'll true. be elsewhere so I mean we we held on to him for another over three years three and a half years after that before he went to Manchester United so it was um, it was a magnificent period I feel so blessed that I was around at that time and able as a fan to go to all those games
0: In terms of winning league titles and and winning cups you mentioned there that as fans Yes, at times, although you try not to take it for granted, you can kind of get sucked into that because it's happening so often. Looking back at that era now, before we come to but just obviously we talked about how wonderful it was. In terms of Sir Alex himself, he was obviously quite, how shall we say, quite harsh on the players. I mean, that cup final where you win yeah. the cup and he comes right out after the game says, MacLeish and Miller won that cup for us all. What are your memories of that? Because obviously as a fan... You're caught up in the emotion, oh my goodness, we've just won a cup. Whereas his reaction after the game, you'd have think you'd think you'd have lost.
1: Yeah, he just looked at things totally differently. I mean, he was such a perfectionist. Um, and when you consider that this came 10 days after they'd beaten Real Madrid to win the European Cup Winners' Cup, they then uh, beat Rangers at Hampden to win the Scottish Cup. Um, I mean, it seems utterly bizarre to think of that bit. His his great friend and rival Jim McLean was exactly the same. Um, Jim didn't enjoy the same success in terms of winning trophies. Uh, he did win trophies, but nothing like Sir Alex did. But he was he was equally as hard on his players, and it was all down to the fact that he he set standards, and he wasn't prepared for those standards to drop. Now, as fans celebrating on the vast. Hamden terracing, it certainly never crossed my mind at any point that well, that was a bit of a rubbish performance. i was <laughs> just absolutely thrilled that there was another trophy. Um but that one hit hit the players. I mean I've spoken to various of the players about it. Um they they were used to excuse me, they were used to um his outbursts at times and the fact that he demanded so much of them. But they felt that was unfair. Um and he did he did, did apologise, I think it was St Andrews that they'd, they'd gone across to um, to have a party, uh, to celebrate and it was somewhat muted, um, in fact it may even have been the next day, but but anyway he did, he did, I think, accept they had probably overstepped the mark um, when you consider what <laughs> it was at the end. You know, most of those players will have played. Back then, um, and certainly the ones who were playing for Scotland, um, I think Miller, McLeish, Leighton They were, for a couple of seasons They were averaging 69, 70 games a season um, So they would come through everything And they had done so in the last Couple of matches um, To win the Cupners Cup And just miss out in the league in between times And then win the Scottish Cup as well So, um, no, very, very strange But just another indication Of, of that man he Who is, is,
0: I mean, he's the most remarkable man I've ever met in my life Talk me through Gothenburg from a true Aberdeen fan's yeah. perspective. Um I
1: suppose the excitement really began four minutes into the first leg of the semi-final because by that stage we were 2-0 up against Wadersheim, the, the Belgian team. Um, and back then, well still there, but um, the, we, I would sit and I would go to different parts of the ground. Um, I didn't really, sometimes you go a whole season, we go to one wee bit of the standard, but that particular evening it was a lovely um, kind of spring evening. Um, we were there, There's a little section that sits between the Merkland Road end and the south stand. Um, and we were just standing perched right up at the top in that corner. So the corner at which the early goals went in. Um, I mean, there were people <laughs> falling down the hill behind us. Anyway, 2-0 at, at up after four minutes. I'm, oh, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to the final. I'm going to Gothenburg. Um, and we, we won 5-1 that night, um, which... I think we were fairly secure that we were going to be there, so I worked in the bank at the time. And I went in the next day and said to my boss, Luke, and who's a big Aberdeen fan, Ken McLaughlin. Said, Ken, um, I need to go to that final. I need, I need holidays. I'm like, oh, that's fine. So he put me down. That's fine. The holidays were secured, um, and then quite quickly it became clear that there was going to be this ferry, the Sinclair, that was going. All my mates were going. To... I'd never flown before. I was terrified of flying, um, so the ferry was the the answer. Um, but when I phoned up to try to book the set, the ferry we had sold out so <laughs> the next option was flying oh my god anyway i did um i couldn't afford it. i mean i had no money i couldn't afford it i again went to ken and said um i need to well i'm going to Gothenburg but i don't have any money he went right so so we arranged a personal loan which was for a new fridge and a stair carpet ostensibly <laughs> <laughs> but actually so i was still paying that for pay that off over two years um it was actually quite nice every time the payment came out. It was just a little reminder <laughs> of Gotham. Um but yeah, um so we flew and um flew in, landed the day before. It was absolutely bucketing with rain. went into a big superstore and um <laughs> I bought this um this red waterproof suit. Which uh, was <laughs> it was obviously a, a pretend Adidas one. I think it probably it either had two stripes or four stripes down, down, <laughs> down the sleeves and the legs. Um, I wore this bloody suit for the next <laughs> forty eight hours. Um, yeah, and then just to walk along towards the stadium, and you could feel everything just beginning to build up. And see, I mean, there was just Aberdeen fans everywhere. There was a fountain outside the stadium. There were people in the fountain. course we we're so soaked. Anyway, it didn't matter. And then inside, and it was just a, I mean, it, how that game was played, I'll never know. Um, given the conditions and given the pitch. Um, Going
0: into the game, did you honestly think Aberdeen had a chance of winning?
1: We actually got you now. I worked in the bank at the time, as I've said. Um, we actually got stopped by um, a Swedish television. They were doing vox pops, so just getting little snapshots from all the fans, and uh, I remember very confidently telling them that Aberdeen were going to win. I think 2-0, I said, but hey, yeah, confident that we're going to win. I think as I've got older, I've become more fatalistic about things. But then I was young and full of optimism. <laughs> um, so I, I just kind of felt it's what we did. We, we didn't lose cup finals back then. you After those first couple that you lost, we never lost another cup final. Um, so it didn't matter that it was Real Madrid. Um, it didn't matter that it was a European final. It's what we did. We went to finals. We won them. And Willie Miller lifted the trophy in one hand at the end of it all. Um, I mean, the match itself was just, it was crazy. Obviously, got the early goal. And then big Alex back Pass got caught up in the rain. Uh, you know, Jim Layton conceded the penalty. He'd have been sent off these days. Back then, wasn't. Um they score from the penalty. Um, and then right away the through Johnny's header, um, and then the moment, right at the end, where Real Madrid's get the free kick, it's about 20 yards out, and they try to take it quickly, but the are stops, it. he said, no, no, you've got to take it again. And it was, I um, think Salguero's his name, the, the fullback, he came up and he smashed this ball. And obviously, honestly, from the angle we were at, you could have sworn it was just going to go inside Jim Layton's left-hand post, and it must have missed by an inch, two inches. Um, and that was it, you know, you knew that we were going to win. <laughs> I mean, the scenes afterwards, I mean, obviously I've reviewed the footage so many times, spoke to the guys a lot of times about it, but I just remember the just everybody dancing around, going mental, and then the players were all across and they got the trophy and they're right in front of us. Um, just the sheer undiluted joy and elation of it all. And it, wasn't, it probably wasn't until a wee while later that it kind of sunk in with me. <laughs> but Real Madrid weren't quite the team then that they have been in the last 10 years or had been previously, but they were still Real Madrid. Absolutely. Oh, um, I thought, wow, we beat Real Madrid in a European final. Um, I think i said that we're still the last team to beat them, I think, in a European final. Um, is that right? Well, anyway, that was a start at one stage. So it just from this distance it's incredible and I look at my you know my, my oldest boy is an Aberdeen fan um, you know his Gothenburg his equivalent of Gothenburg is um, you know the occasional win we've had in in Europe or, or winning the League Cup in 2014 um, which were great achievements you know in their own right I think why that's just a reminder to me how lucky I was that you know I watched three League Cup wins uh, sorry three League Championship wins and a League Cup and all the Scottish Cups along the way, incredible.
0: You mentioned there. Obviously, you've you've got kids of your own. You've had a really good life, but would you say that that was the best day of your life?
1: I. I mean, as a football fan, it's unparalleled. Um, the the only one that comes even close was the quarter final against Bayern Munich, which has gone down in history as Pottodry's greatest night. Um, yeah, we're two one down. Heading towards the closing stages, having drawn nil nil in the Olympic Stadium in the first leg, and then you get sixty seconds, the like of which I'll never see again. I don't think you, John McMaster and Gordon Strachan, have the kind of orchestrated free kick routine that they do, uh, and then Big Alec heads in the equalizer, and almost from kickoff back up the park. I mean the telly almost got caught out because they're still focused they, they, you look at the footage they're still focused on a close up of Alex McLeish <laughs> having got the equaliser and all you see is Alex's Head turning as he looks up and watches this long diagonal ball from John McMaster um, and then the camera cuts just in time to see Eric Blackhead hits the keeper push it out and then Hewitt <laughs> <laughs> actually actually sliding over, I mean, losing his footing but somehow managing to hook it in and my dad, um by that stage, he wasn't going to all the games, but he was certainly at that one. And I just remember turning round, and he was standing on his seat, screaming and singing, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was sensational. And probably the next one, in terms of being an Aberdeen fan, the next one would have been that 2014 League Cup final, because it had been such a long time. As Stuart Milne so famously um said live on Sports Sound that night um, 19 years 120 minutes and then effing penalties um, <laughs> it's, well, he didn't say effing obviously Um yeah, you know, I, I felt huge wave of emotion that day because we'd waited so long um, and just to see your team winning you know the, the Celtic fans I hope I hope they're making the most of it may be all gone for years yet Um given their dominance. But I hope they're not taking it for granted. I hope they're making the most of it right now because there will come a spell. And it might not last, you know, it might be 18 months that they go without a trophy, but, you know, um, you couldn't have imagined Aberdeen going all those years without winning something. Um, and I felt, I mean, felt my son, you know, it's the first time he'd ever seen Aberdeen or will remember having seen Aberdeen win anything. So, I mean, I really felt for him as well, but I felt for the players. You know, guys like Russell Anderson, who was... Um, yeah, you know, a club legend. I've um, given so much to the club, been you know, away, come back, and and to see you know Big Russ holding up the trophy and, and the players around him, and just seeing what it meant to them. So I mean that was in its own way a very very special. But you know, light years away from beating Bayern Munich and Real Madrid.
0: You've written an excellent book, Glory in Gothenburg the Night. Aberdeen turned the football and whirled on its head, and I'm not an Aberdeen fan but it was it, for me it's an excellent book that Thank just you. summarises just how iconic a moment that was in Scottish football. How proud were you to write a book and what are the best stories you've got from talking to all the players in that team from that era?
1: Yeah, um, it, it kind of came out of the blue almost. I got approached by um, an agent who said, look, I'm always looking for new people to, to do books. Um, is it something you've considered? It's so, said, well, yeah, have considered but never really got around to it. So we met up, had a coffee, um, I don't. you know what would be the obvious topic so this would have been this would have been about the September 2011 um, so we were some 18 months away from the 30th anniversary of Gothenburg I said well it's got to be the obvious thing to do um, so I had numbers for quite a few of the guys I got introduced to, to others, and managed to get, it. so track, track them all down. And, and so I had to come up with a synopsis and the synopsis essentially was, well, obviously it's going to be all about the run and, and winning the trophy. But each of these players will have a story to tell. So that's how the, the format merged. And um, it was about right. Each story will take us through a, a little part of the run, but it will also tell the story of the career of each of those players um, or something like the 12 who took to the field. Um, so I was brilliant um, I mean there was one time When I looked at my phone And my recent call list was Willie Miller, Alex McLeish, Gordon Strachan Peter Weir, Mark McGee I'm just thinking this is
0: just <laughs>
1: insane You know for somebody who grew up watching this team um, And they were all brilliant um, I uh, I mean the, the late Neil Cooper um, you know, And any of us who New knew Neil still. You know, still get very emotional um, that he's no longer with us. He <laughs> spent um, two hours. I mean, I could barely, when I was listening back to it, um, I could barely transcribe it at times because it was just two hours of laughing. I mean, the stories that kid, well, I say kid. who was a kid at the time, obviously, um, of the misdemeanours he would get up to um, <laughs> and how. I mean, the. the, the he was out one of his his regular haunts was Champers which was a nightclub out D-side in Aberdeen and and Neil was a regular there but was there many things when he probably shouldn't have been (laughs) definitely shouldn't have been Fergie had his spies um, so eventually he went through this process when um, he was he was asked on the Monday morning were you at Champers no were you at Shampers? no and he just he kept this out and then um, he was going to be dropped but Ferguson played him and um eventually eventually neil had admitted that yes he had been in sharpers but he'd only been drinking coke that night which again was a a bare lie i'm sure (laughs) um so they were playing a a league cup tie against meadowbank at but and um he was sent out with a warning you'd better play well today cooper um he said he went out and he scored i think in his whole career he's got something like five goals at pataudry but he happened to score that night he was straight across the dugout. He said he was, he was moonwalking in front of the dugout, in front of Ferguson, he was going absolutely <laughs> mental.
0: Um,
1: and there was lots of stories with Neil. Um, and I think what I loved about it so, so guys like um, Neil, John Hewitt, Neil Simpson, in um, particular the, the local boys, um, you know, it meant an awful lot to them. Uh, but Neil and Johnny were sharing, and, and the, bizarrely, um, for those who know the Aberdeen dialect, um, that they were staying in a place called Farzat, um, which is where's that, um, if you come from the northeast. So that kind of was spooky, but John and, and Neil were sitting in the hotel room the afternoon of the game, just shaking their heads, thinking, Two northeast loons are way to take on Real Madrid in a European final. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, I mean, I still get shivers just thinking about that. I mean, in terms of the guys generally, the, the, the one who um, didn't actually play but got a medal because he was on the, the bench because he'd had a, a career ending injury was Stuart Kennedy. Um, and, and that's one thing, as much, I mean, I, I, there was so much to come out of the, the writing in the book, but I hadn't appreciated just what a driving force Kennedy was to that team. And Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, loved him because of he, he shared that same mentality, that attitude. Now, they all had it. But Kennedy was um, unshakable in his belief that he was the best right-back in the world and that his team, were not, we, we talk about driving them on. I mean, they all talked about the influence of Kennedy having them all. And, and it was such a shame he didn't get to play. But, and he tried, he, he did a kind of fitness test before they left Aberdeen. Um, and Alex Ferguson was, was, took him out onto the, the pitch or the, the touchline of the Taudry. I want you to run up and down, yeah. And Kennedy had said, you know, the, the pain was searing through his knee, and he was, but he was doing these runs, and he was gritting his teeth, and he was determined to play. Um, But he said he did a couple of runs, and Ferguson just strolled up to him and said, "Look, I'll put you on the bench." And that was, yeah, I suppose a rare moment of compassion that has come out, you know, from Sir Alex. But it's because these guys meant so much to him. Um, and Kennedy is just, I mean, he's... All the boys, all the boys will t- talk about him. Um, I mean, I've done events with Stuarts. <laughs> we inducted him into the Hall of Fame. I was supposed to do a and a with him. Um, there was a cue, but just one. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he just took to the stage with a microphone. Um, just as... I, I mean, just a larger-than-life character. But um, it was... These were talented guys, but it was that inner strength that they had they never thought they were going to lose they would come down to Celtic Park they would come down to Ibrox and they would generally they would win or they would avoid defeat in those games and so much of it was down to um, that same uh, Alex Ferguson instilled it to an extent in them he certainly cultivated it but they all had it um, but Kennedy probably had it more than it. so, so that, was a, that was a real learning curve for me um, there's plenty of stories I couldn't possibly repeat because they didn't even get into the book um, <laughs> just something that, that, but I think that was all part of the team Spirit the Bonding and, and you know what it, it remains to this day I've been so fortunate to do events with, with big groups of these guys um, and while I know them all I, you know when it comes to you see them together you just take a step back because yeah. you know it's their little inner sanctum and they all say look we're, we're still telling the same stories that we were telling 30, 40 years ago and they're still funny because it's just us.
0: In terms of there's obviously the famous saying, Never meet your heroes, but I'm sure having worked with those guys, that you would you would say that statement is completely <laughs> but, false. But,
1: yeah, and I, I fully understand that. Um look, I've been forward not just with that Aberdeen team, but over the years. Um I've met so many of my heroes and I'm a huge golf fan as well. Um we've covered golf for many years, so I've met a lot of them. Um you get the occasional moment where you catch a a player or a coach or a golfer or whatever at the wrong moment and you might get a mouthful but those are few and far between Um, and certainly when it comes to that team um, each and every one of them are just the gems I mean they're just just lovely, lovely guys Uh, and I'm just so pleased that they got the rewards that they did they didn't get the financial rewards obviously at that time but by God did they get the winner's medals
0: Let's move on now to life after Sir Alex Ferguson Obviously he leaves Aberdeen to go to Manchester United And I'm interested to ask this as a a football fan At the time was the reaction from Aberdeen fans Not happy to see him leave because obviously he's been so successful But were you wishing him all the best? for when they left or was it just that element of frustration of Oh, I, mm. I wish he
1: would stay no I think um, oh absolutely I mean I think despite the fact that um, the successes he's had with Aberdeen we were all realistic enough to know that Manchester United are a bigger club than Aberdeen I remember my dad saying at the time "Ah, doesn't it doesn't matter um, Archie Knox will just take over and there was that feeling Archie stayed for about 10 days or so but Archie was always I, I mean, I've discovered chatting to Archie years later he didn't really have any option, he was just, he said he was taking the the players at training up at Seton Park and um, Fergie's car came along (laughs) and the window was wound down and Archie's mum hadn't been well at the time and so he thought it was potentially going to be bad news about that so he'd gone across and Sir Alex just leaned out the window and said we're going to Manchester United and he said... (laughs) actually never had any say in it. <laughs> he didn't enter into contract negotiations. Um, so he was so of course, I didn't know that at the time, but he was always going. Um, but I guess he just, because the bulk of the squad were still there. I mean, Sir Alex probably got out at the right time. Um, you know, most, quite a lot of the guys had moved on. Others were getting older. Injuries were beginning to take the toll. Fatigue after everything they'd gone through over through those years. Um, so Ian Porterfield came in, very, very different character to Sir Alex. And that was the point where I had started working at North Sound. So I just missed Sir Alex. Um, I got to know Ian Porterfield pretty well, working for the local radio station. Um, It wasn't successful. Um, And we've seen countless examples, I suppose, in football when someone... The first person to take over from the successful long-term manager is always going to have a, a hard time. Um, obviously, D.B. Moyes had that at, at Old Trafford when, <laughs> all those years later when Sir Alex finally left Man United. Um, so it wasn't great. Um, Alex Smith was brought in to assist, um, but pretty quickly, Ian was away. And so it was Alex, Jockey, who Scott, who were co-managers, um Drew Jarvie I thought it was Alex, who was clearly the, the number one. Um, and you know, for, for the next three years, if you look at it, if you compared that to any other part of Aberdeen's history, it was successful. But it was still being compared to what had come before. Um he won both cups in 89-90. Yep. Um and then what was eight months later, he was out of a job. Um And so the plan at that stage, I know at the club had been, it was Ian Donald who was the chairman, had been that Willie Miller, who was now retired, Willie would start doing a bit of coaching. He would start to to help with the the management team. Um, He would be groomed to to take over from Alex Smith. But we lost at Easter Road. Um, The board panicked. Alex Smith was sacked. And all of a sudden, Willie was the manager. And, you know, Willie will tell you, he wasn't ready for it Um, at that stage. I think... Had he had another year or so Working with the guys and, and just becoming more attuned to what you needed To be as a manager But again, his three years um, Up until the final season where we were struggling And we were obviously in the lower reaches of the, the table um, He came so close he was, But he was up against that incredible Rangers I mean he played against that Rangers team That went, what was it, 43 games unbeaten mm-hmm. In season 92-93 Or 91-92 So uh, he was second to Rangers And everything at that point but then second wasn't good enough, whereas now we're doing cartwheels for, <laughs> for second place. So um, it, just, it just became so, so tough for these guys. Roy Roykin obviously took over, won the League Cup in 95. Um, it wasn't too long before he was losing 5-0 at Tannerdice and he was out on his ear. Um, and then it was just that horrible cycle. You know, it was Alex Miller, Paul Hegarty, Madhuis um, Bell, Um, Then we had the delights of Ebi Skodal, which still blows my mind after all these years. Um, So many fans talk so fondly, I I just thought it was a shambles, to be honest. Um, And it wasn't really until Jimmy Calderwood came in that we had any kind of stability. And Jimmy had, again, you know, he divides fans. But for five years, pretty much each season, is improving, um, there was a level of consistency there. Um, there was also a level of consistency in losing to teams from lower divisions in the cup competitions unfortunately (laughs) and that was what did for for Jimmy Um, I mean beyond that where are we going Stevie Patterson Mark McGee Um, and then finally you know I think Craig Brown um, deserves a lot of credit for stabilising things it wasn't brilliant to watch at times but he he did kind of stabilise things Um, and then suddenly you know it's seven years down the line since, since Derek took over fully and um, yeah, there've been a look, there, there have been disappointments, of course they have, um, but it's a very different club now to what it was for a long period of time. A a, a better run club, um, and you know what he did in terms of um, not pushing Celtic close on a number of those games. A couple of seasons they did, but at least maintaining that level throughout. And uh, the the big disappointment is that it's only been the one cup win. Yep. Um, I think we would all accept and he would accept that there should have been, especially given that time when Rangers were out of the picture. Because Catley Thistle, Ross County, Sitmer and Kilmarnock, you know, these teams have all won one cup during that time. So you'd have expected a bit more perhaps in that sense. But over the piece, um, I think Derrick McInnes has done a, a very, very good job. Um, you know, yeah. and then he, he showed, I think what he did as much as anything was restore the pride for the fans. We could be proud of our club once more.
0: I'm interested to focus on two, <coughs> pardon me, two moments in particular. Obviously, Roy Atkinsley League Cup win. With hindsight, would you and fans have savoured it even more than you did? If obviously you could foresee the barren run that was set to come.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it was a strange day that because um, I think Brighton and Dundee were in the second tier at the time. Um, And it was one of those, and maybe it was still a half and we'd lost a few cup finals since then, but um, maybe there was still a part of you, just, well, we win cup finals. Um, But I don't remember going along, despite the fact we hadn't won anything in five years at that point, I don't remember going along to Hamden that day feeling nervous, feeling on edge. um, And I always did. I always had that head of cup finals, um, generally. Um, Because more often than not, you were playing Rangers or you were playing Celtic in these cup finals. Um, So I kind of figured we were winning that game anyway We won comfortably, it was 2-0 And it was It was almost an anti-climax I think back to that day So you're probably right I hadn't actually thought about it that way But as the years moved on and on and on and on um, I mean, I was still able to draw on the fact that we won the trophy But it was was probably the least excited Certainly the most low-key cup win of all the cup wins I've seen the club have And if only we knew then That it was going to be <laughs> two decades
0: <laughs> Another moment I'm interested to focus on Is actually a spell under Jimmy Calderwood Through that barren run of trophies You beat Bayern Munich mm-hmm. In the UEFA Cup it was at the time and
1: Well we, drew, we drew, drew yeah
0: Sorry, you drew with Bayern Munich In yeah. um, the UEFA Cup it was at the time Did that game in particular just bring back Nostalgic memories from yeah. fans of you, Dina.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a great night that night. It was, um, it was Josh Walker and Sonia Luku, I think, who got the goals that night. Um, I it was crazy that night because I, there's so many fans of my generation went along, remembering obviously the the one that had happened previously. But it was a no. I mean, no, no one gave Aberdeen any chance in that game. When I mean, you think? Look back at that Bayern Munich team she was, and compare it to what Aberdeen had. Um, it was an incredible night. Um, I was working um and the end that um, toward the the broadcast point for Radio Scotland, along towards the end of the the goal where we scored the two goals that night. Um and it just I remember me you know, just, just people jumping about all over the place. There we've got a little desk in front of us, but you know, I was jumping up and down and um and the noise was incredible. Um and I think because it had been such a long time since we'd enjoyed any kind of European success um, so yeah that was special that was very special that night we'll gloss over the fact that we lost five in the, <laughs> the second leg in Munich so it was just another reminder that things were very different then to what they had been back in 83 in um, but it was lovely, there have been odd moments, there was the, the 4-0 win against Copenhagen um, that got them through to the, the knockout stages the one time that that's happened um, in the old UEFA Cup format um,
0: And there have been a couple of the
1: Cup runs Under Derek, although the, the really good results Tended to be away from home um, During that and, and during the kind of European Runs that he's had the, the big, again, the disappointment there is not Getting out of the Europa League group And into the knockout stages um, And there were a couple of seasons where you thought that Maybe, sorry, getting into the, the the Actual group, rather From the knockout stages, and um, there have been a couple of seasons Where you felt, mm, they had a chance there And
0: it it just didn't quite happen We mentioned obviously Derek McInnes' era so far Multiple second place finishes The League Cup win Consistently keeping Aberdeen in the top six We've reflected on the fact that It's been In the grand scheme of things Over the last maybe 20 years A really positive era for Aberdeen Obviously if you compared it to the glory days of Sir Alex It does not compare as 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 I'm sure you would agree with But it's been a good era And we mentioned the Europa League there And probably a frustration for Derek not just fans is the fact that he hasn't managed to get the club yeah. to the group stages I'm interested to know your views on the team at the moment as we speak towards the end of the the nineteen twenty season and going forward
1: Yeah I think the frustration part of the frustration has been um, in the last few years he's actually brought players to the club who are good players, um, and you expected to do a very good job. And for some one reason or another, and quite often it's been injuries. Um, I mean, some of the guys he's brought in, Craig Bryson we've barely seen this season. Dylan McGee and still finding his way. Um, Manny Kennedy came in in the the January transfer window. You know, he's an exciting player. He's actually beginning to show, getting a few signs now of, of what he can offer. Um, I think the the disappointing factor this season has been once again the home form has. Certainly the last few months has been very poor as it was last year. And if you're not winning at home, you lose the fans to an extent, because a lot of the fans obviously can't afford or don't, or don't travel and you want to put on a show home and that's not been happening. Style of football hasn't been great this season. Um, it's been, there have been many little periods when during Derek's time in charge, where maybe we haven't been playing as well, but he's managed games. He's found a way tactically to manage games we won a lot of matches by the single goal um, and as long as you're winning games then people will overlook the fact that perhaps they're not enjoying the style of football um, You know, I don't think for a minute that, that, that Derek McInnes wants them to go out and play the kind of football that's going to entertain him and entertain the fans but it just this season it hasn't happened um, there have been a couple of spells that have been really difficult to watch and then all of a sudden you get the cup tie at Rugby Park <laughs> replay against Kilmarnock and I wasn't I was wasn't working that night so I was there um, and you just get reminded as to how good that team can be at times. I mean, the first half we were awful but actually played so much better beyond that. Um, I think it's a good squad. I think um, if he's got everybody fit, sometimes you wonder if he still really knows his, what he wants in terms of his best 11. Um, but I guess managers nowadays um, won't, those options, whereas back in Sir Alex's day, you could pretty much give 11 or 12 players who who would, that would make up the starting line. I mean, it's very different these days, and there are more options and players, managers tend to use this quote. Um, but it just, it hasn't gelled properly. I, I I think a couple of months in, I kind of began to get the sense that almost like it was a season where it would be treading water. It's just just, let's just, let's just get this season out of the way and hopefully things will improve. But but there's still as we speak there's still the possibility of a cup run. Um depending on what people are listening to this, we may or may not have been eliminated by Simmer <laughs> and there'll be a very different um gloss on the season. But yeah, look, it's down to that now. Um of course he'll be expected to finish third and I he should finish third given the, the budgets we have you know we we took off now but now not being able to Challenged Rangers or Celtic because of their inflated budgets compared to ours. Well, um, the Aberdeen budget is is such that they should certainly be finishing, and the squad as such you should certainly be finishing third. If we don't, but get to a cup final or win the cup, then nobody cares where you finish in the league. It's about winning the silverware, um, and it would I know it mean an awful lot to him. It mean a lot to everybody at the club, but everything is now down to the Scottish Cup and I'm getting nervous just even thinking about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now I want to ask this question and I'm not trying to to ask it to get a controversial answer for yourself or for a headline I want to ask you as a genuine Aberdeen fan 7 years is a long time in football for any manager especially in the modern era you look at Hearts and Hibs in recent years chopping and changing managers quite a lot do you think the time is coming I'm not necessarily saying this summer but in the next 18 months where it's maybe time not just for the club but also for Derek McInnes to to get a fresh start and a fresh challenge elsewhere.
1: Yeah, well, I mean the, the contract runs through until summer 2021 as it stands um I mean I think there is this this notion within the game that a manager can almost outstay his welcome that there's a, a kind of finite period of time mm. um and I certainly a lot of people felt that with Jimmy Calderwood he it's five years and by the end you kind of felt probably benefit the club and Jimmy um for a parting of the ways, although Jimmy didn't see it that way. Um, I think it's maybe a little bit different these days in that there's so much churn when it comes to the squads, whereas before, if you were, if a manager was there over a period of four or five years, the bulk of the squad would probably remain during that time. So the same players were hearing the same messages, getting the same team talks. Um, So I suppose it's incumbent on the manager then to trying to find different ways of engaging the players and inspiring them. Um, I mean, whenever it happens, um, and irrespective of the circumstances, I would hope that Derek McInnes gets the kind of send-off that he deserves, because he does, he's done a fantastic job at Aberdeen. Um, He's had a couple of opportunities to move, obviously, and has has turned them down. Um, And I think part of that was down to the fact that he knew... The love and respect there is from at Pottori, but also he knew he was at a good club. <laughs> he was a club where, that gave him the potential to continue to enhance his reputation and to to win things that hasn't quite turned out. Um, no, I mean, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say I think Darren McKenna should go in the summer or next year. Um, a lot will depend, I suppose, on how this season concludes, what kind of business he does next year. And whether he can freshen up the squad to the point where it gives him a fresh challenge, I suppose. Um, I mean, I, you know, the club are in no hurry to get rid of Derek McInnes. But it will be driven by results. And the I think, I mean, I think what you would say and everybody would appreciate is the next couple of months are very important um, because it is a long time that he's been in charge. If they limp through to the end of the season get knocked out of the Scottish Cup and don't finish in third place, you can be guaranteed that serious questions will be getting asked in the boardroom. That's not to say he will leave at that point, um, but it may be that that's an option that they'll be looking at.
0: Two questions to finish on in relation to Aberdeen before we come to round the quick fire questions. Having watched Aberdeen for many years, Richard, and obviously through different eras, and the game's changed now to the point where finances seem to dominate sadly not just in our game but the worldwide game with that in mind do you think Aberdeen will win another title in your lifetime realistically? No no. no. Um,
1: I think we had the chance in Ronnie Dylas last year at um, in charge of Celtic um, it didn't help at the end of the January transfer window when they went out inside Stewart's Armstrong and Gary McGuire Stephen and, 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 you know, and there you go the finance they were in a position where they could do that Aberdeen couldn't have done that or couldn't do that at the time But I think that was the opportunity We got them to within three games At the end of the season um, Before they clinched the title Which is the, you know, the closest anyone has pushed them over A whole number of years now So um, No I, Look It would be lovely I would Die happy <laughs> If I thought <laughs> I could actually See them winning another league title But right now Given where the game is um, I wouldn't see that As a possibility
0: I'd like to finish on a positive note I'm sure you'd be pleased to hear Obviously the club's got a partnership now With Atlanta United in the United States New training ground has recently been opened And obviously the new stadium hopefully in the way Over the next few years In terms of the next 10 years or so Ahead for Aberdeen Do you see the club heading in a positive light With the new facilities and the new partnerships They're creating?
1: Yeah, um, Cormac Park is, is great It's fantastic um, I've been out there a couple of times and I know the players love it. it's a little bit um open to the elements, um, just in terms of where it is. But so in the middle of winter it's not brilliant, I think, with the wind and the rain whistling across there. But over the piece it's a fantastic facility. I know the the guys are enjoying it. Um talking to one or two of them they'll say that you know, they're they kind of happy. They, they stay there, you know. They 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 do their training session. They'll get their lunch. They'll do a bit extra in the gym. they will just it's somewhere where they can they can kind of focus and they can stay as a group. Um, the stadium. There's still major challenges ahead in yep. terms of the, the finance, but um, you know the certainly the the clear expectation and desire is that the stadium will be built there, and you'll have a you know whole hub. Um, I think I, I'm quite excited I mean Dave Cormack the, the relatively new chairman um, Dave's been very successful in the States um, has the contacts has very wealthy friends which is always nice and a couple of them have been involved I've got involved in the club and the whole Atlanta United tie-up came through Dave and his contacts um, if he has his way it will be an exciting time because, um, you know, he's very much an ideas man. He He's come with clear, I thought he's an Aberdeen boy. He's come with clear, fresh thinking from um, his many years in the States, both in terms of business and also the sports world there. So um, I think there's, there's reason. There's reason to be confident and optimistic about what lies ahead. Um, but all that will be driven by what happens in the park, of course. Um, because... That's what football fans are like. <laughs> you can throw all the initiatives you like at us, but if we're not winning on a Saturday afternoon or a Wednesday night, whenever it is, then you know there, there's doom and gloom around. So, but no, over the piece, I, I think look, we're in a good position. We're I'm debt free, of course, um, which has has been a, a fantastic thing in the last few years. That's come to get sorted out. So, um, I think we've we've got the the platform there. There are certainly facilities there that will help. Um, hopefully, even more facilities to come so yeah look ah, let's just say I'm optimistic
0: about the future <laughs> First quick fire question and this doesn't just relate to your time as an Aberdeen fan but your time in broadcasting as a whole who are the best players you've seen live?
1: Um, Brian Loudrop uh, in terms of Scottish football playing in the domestic game Brian Loudrop um, Paul Gascoigne in that little spell um, Henrik Larson absolutely um, beyond that and, and in terms of Scottish football, Kenny Douglas, I just I didn't see an awful lot of Kenny Douglas, but I saw enough to make it clear what a, an incredible talent he was. Um, you know, one of the guys who who didn't make my who wouldn't make my all time top Aberdeen eleven. But Ian Jess was as naturally gifted a player as I've ever seen pull on an Aberdeen shirt. But beyond that, because of the the European ties, you know, and and international games. Um, I mean, there are very few that I haven't seen over the years. Um, All-time favourite international player, Zinedine Zidane. um, And I will thank my lucky stars to the day I die that I was at Hamden that night (laughs) when he scored. What is, unquestionably, the best goal I've ever seen live, the the volley into the top corner against uh, Leverkusen. So, I mean, it's just... I've been very, very fortunate in that respect.
0: Interested to ask you a question on Zidane, actually, just because you've mentioned him there. Obviously, the the generation now it's all about Ronaldo and Messi, and maybe back through the generations it was Maradona or Pelé. Do you think that the debate that's shifted around those four players in particular has maybe taken away from the fact that Zidane was an extraordinary footballer, mm. and maybe he should be up there as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was he was a different type, I suppose. Um, yeah, the the, fact, the way his career ended was so completely <laughs> out of character. Um, I just loved that. Oh, look, I can appreciate the merits of all those players, um, and I love watching them, and I've loved watching players prior to that as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just something. Uh, Plati- I, I I loved watching Michel Platini. Um, who. Maybe it was the way he kind of glided through, and, and Zidane does that as well, or did that as well. Maybe there's something about that type of player. Um, I just uh, for me Zidane. Um, was just imperious. And I just, I'm smiling now, just thinking <laughs> back to, you know, some of what he did. He, and and I know Ronaldo and Messi in particular, um, Maradona, certainly, God, Maradona won a World Cup almost single-handed in 86. Um, but Zidane just bossed games in a way. I just, something about that, that play in the middle of the park as well. You know, you, you see the forwards and they got all the headlines and maybe it's just um, Zidane a little bit the back of the pitch, but um, yeah, I hey, so fortunate to have seen these players to have enjoyed their talents, um, and it's why we love football. You know, you want to you want to watch the best, don't
0: you? Absolutely. And this next question might be a silly question to ask, considering your Aberdeen allegiance, and obviously, just in my opinion, facts of football in general. Best
1: manager during your time covering the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, quite apart from what he did at Pittaudry, um his records, it, it was it something like 49, 50 trophies he ended up winning? Alex Ferguson, um, you know, those older than me will, will point to Jock Steen who had an incredible haul of, of success. Um, and even guys like Bill Shankly, I suppose, and Matt Busby, the, who are rightly seen as managerial greats. The trophy hall wasn't anything like, and more. I know, appreciate probably more opportunities to win things um in the years that that followed. Um, but no, I mean, quite apart from being the best football manager, he is also the most striking man I've ever met in my life. I mean, I've been so fortunate to I've done various events with him over the years, got to know him a little bit. He just. To this day and even after his, his illness and it was wonderful to see him recovering the way that he did he's still so sharp and he's still <laughs> he could you know he's one of these people you know when sir alex ferguson is in a room um he has he has an aura about him um and again like i've never had to meet up to his demands in a dressing room or out in the football park so you know i'm coming out from a very different but i just love listening to him i love um and, and and I've been in the company of other football greats with Sir Alex, and I love the fact that they are just like me. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're hanging on his every word, mouth, <laughs> hanging open at times. So, um, yeah, just a, a brilliant, brilliant man.
0: You've covered the game in Scotland and European football for many years now. Who's the toughest manager you've ever had to interview? Um,
1: if I would say... Anyone I think of, managers or players have been the, the toughest. Um, I always quite... I, I In the main, it, it's becoming a little more difficult these days. Um, in the earlier days, you had more one-to-one access. You had more chances to sit down with managers, players, and, and do the interviews. Now it's the staged media conferences. Everybody's gathered in a room. The advertising boards are up. Um, so it's a little bit different now I, I kind of, um, and I really don't want to sound like a boring old fart here but I can kind have of pain for those days so, um, you know, you would get the chance to, to and for a large period of time and it was during Rangers' great successes um, you'd go and, s- and see Walter Smith so the, the, the slot that we had for Walter Smith was first thing in the morning so you went along and you'd sit it might be 10 minutes, might be 20, might be half an hour and um, you would record the interview but you would also just chat um and then he would say oh who you want today right we'll have Richard Goff right so he'd go and get Richard Goff right yeah and bring him to you and now you know you've got a whole media team who are set up to almost get in the way of people doing these interviews um so I, I and at the time um obviously being based in Glasgow then um you know we had our reporters in Dundee and Aberdeen they'd be doing the, the clubs there um so we would do I would and do Walter Smith and the morning. and then there was a whole succession of Celtic managers at that time and you went at lunchtime when you did them and it was Liam Brady and Lou Macari. and so these are the, the guys who were around when I was reporting I said um, but again you sat down you got insights they got to know you so they trusted you and they would tell you things off the records um, so much more difficult I think now for the younger guys the reporters who are, who are trying to foster those kind of relationships which are vital to the job we do You people need to trust you they need to know that they can talk to you I, and you know I'm still fortunate in that there are many many guys I suppose that I've I've got to know over the years and you still bump into them and you still want to interview them and they're comfortable in my company they're comfortable that they're not going to be um not well betrayed in any way shape or form so they'll tell you things and you know you just store up all these little things these little nuggets that you pick up over the years you don't always use them then but you might use them a couple of months down the line without necessarily attributing them so um, these these relationships are important. So I I've never found anyone particularly tough. Um, there's the occasional big interview you're doing that is on a, you know, a, a, the big talking point, the big topics of the day. But the bottom line is, this is football. This is a game we're talking about. It's not brain surgery. It's not, you know, going to bring down the government. Um, it's it's football, and um, I think at times we're probably all a bit guilty of taking it a little too seriously.
0: I'm interested to ask about Willie Miller, obviously, a hero of yours when you watch the Aberdeen, what's it like getting to know Willie over the years and working alongside him now?
1: Yeah, Willie, um, I mean when I started at Northside, Willie was still captain. And um, he put the fear of God into me. <laughs> I used to, I got to know the guys, quite a few of the guys at that time pretty well. But Willie always just seemed aloof, he seemed to be on his pedestal. Um, and actually, I didn't interview Willie that much when I was at North End, partly because <laughs> I was too scared to. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, God, the, the team at the time it was it was um, Charlie Nicholas, Davy Dodds was uh, these were great lively characters, full of fun. Neil Simpson at the time, um, Craig Robertson was a you know, got to know Craig quite well at the time, but um, and. The, the guys who, you know, Paul Mason, who scored the two goals in the, the League Cup final in 89. but So, you know, I used to enjoy going down to Petore. I loved it. I was there every morning. Um, talked to various people. You talked to the manager. But Willie was just... And I think it was... If you watched Willie Miller play, he played that way. You know, he was he had an aloofness. He just... And, you know, it was almost as if no one should be in his space. He he, he reminded me a lot of Soonis Graham Soonis the way that Graham Soonis played the game. There was an arrogance about him, but that God, that arrogance was backed up by an incredible talent, and Willie had that as well. I mean, for me, still, the best penalty box defender I've ever seen in my life. Um, So he he then moved into management, and um, his first game was a nil-nil draw at Ibrox, and I was downstairs um, after the game to. Again, this is before press conferences to to do the interview, and he came out of the dressing room. I said, "Well, I can I, um, get a few words for Radio Scotland." And they went, "No," <laughs> <laughs> and he just stopped back <laughs> in the dressing room. Like, oh, what? I don't know what the hell we're we gonna do. You know, so I stood there for about I don't know, another ten minutes, they eventually came out. Right, come on, then. let's do it. That's it. Right. So did they <laughs> still shaking? Dude, that was a little bit more experienced by that point. Then anyway, we did the interview. Um, and then three years down the line, you know, he got sacked um, and we spoke um, and invited him on the programme. It was a couple of months. It wasn't until we played them firmly in the the playoffs at the end of that season and uh, he joined us to do commentary do the programme in the first leg at Pataudry. So that had been about three months later. It was the first time we'd been inside Pataudry. Um i still got the pictures, you know, the snappers do go really with the headphones on sitting beside me. Um, but quite quickly after that, he said, you know, this is, just given me a completely different appreciation of the media, the role the media plays, the importance of the media. Um, you know, he just, we were, as a manager, we were just an annoyance that he really couldn't be bothered with. Um, and he said, you know, that was another thing that he would have learned. You know, he, he said that um, he would have approached the whole job very differently had he had that kind of insight. So for the past 20 Five Gee Where's 25 years <laughs> um, I, I mean like, He's brilliant I still think He's um, He's brilliant I, He's a great pundit I think he's um, He's fair He's critical At times of Aberdeen um, And he won't Overly praise them In the way he wouldn't do For any other team He certainly doesn't um, He doesn't favour them Over anyone else but he knows the club and he knows the players and he knows the mentality and what it takes to, to play there. So um, it's great to get his insights on that. But I think his insights generally, um, yeah, I think we've been very lucky. Um, we've got some really, really good pundits. Um, in the current kind of crop of the guys, uh, they they bring different strengths and different talents. But um, I think it's a really, really good mix. Um, yeah, I still have to pinch myself at times that William Miller's my pal, <laughs> which I, and I didn't think I'd ever be able to say that.
0: Last question of the quickfire for you, e. Richard, is if you were to create a five a side team from your Sports Sound colleagues, who would be in it? Well, I'd be the goalie, obviously. <laughs> I, mean, I have to
1: be the goalie. Well, Willie, and I'd need Willie in front of me to protect me. Um, beyond that, Billy Dodds would have to lead the line. Um, I'm going to put Derek Ferguson in there because Fergie, uh, you know, he obviously he played for Rangers and Hearts, various other clubs, um, and as a fan, I never. And that just shows how life changes. Um, yeah, from the stands, the terrace things, yeah, I'd be booing Derek um, while actually still appreciating what a fine football player he was. Um, and now, I've <laughs> got to know him and work with him for years. He's, I, I don't think anyone loves football more than Derek Ferguson does. He's so enthusiastic. Um, he's a brilliant guy, Derek. Um, I love the fact that he now goes to Aberdeen games <laughs> to support Lewis. So I'm putting Fergie in there. Um and I can't believe I've put myself in the head of Pat Bonner, but there you go, Pat's Tough. Um, <laughs> so, um I'll put I'll look I'll put Tomo up alongside Billy Dodds. Um so Stephen Thompson and Billy Dodds, because they'll score they'll link up well and get plenty of goals. Fergie will supply them and Willie will make sure that I'm not in any danger of the pack.
0: And who would have to manage
1: that 5 or side team? Um, well, the we'll chick Because he's so old He's unable to do anything else now
0: Brilliant Thank you very much Richard Not at all, pleasure So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home In a deep sea cave And our will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave, and shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song. They'll be filled with song.